1: Now, listen, they want me to say hello, welcome to the James Whale best bits of tonight's show. I wish you can hear every night, Monday to Friday, on talk radio from 7 till 10. But I said, wouldn't it be best to call it the worst of whale? So have a listen, see what you think. You're a child protection expert... Am I right to say in those days, in the days we were talking about when when, uh, this sort of thing was going on in Westminster, it wouldn't go on today because people would tell the papers and the TV and radio channels straight away, but we did treat Members of Parliament with a, a certain kind of reverence, didn't we?
2: Oh, I was listening to you there and I totally agreeing. Of course we do, we treat you, put them on pedestals.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and now, just like you said, there's been this slowish process, but it's a process of kind of demystification and people kind of recognising them to have all the flaws that everybody else has and so forth. And, and it's this idea of being more comfortable about coming forward about things, I think is helping an awful lot these days. And so today's news all about allegations, et cetera, et cetera is not a surprise I mean, you know, whether there's truth in it in the end or not, I mean, essentially, I'm not surprised that allegations have been made because people these days feel more safe at talking about things.
1: Mm. Were you surprised that David Steele, Lord Steele, has stepped down from the House of Lords and left uh, the uh, Lib Dems?
2: Uh, Yes. I mean, because I remember the days, you know, Mm -hmm. of of him and... Mm. You know, David Owen and whatnot, kind of like ruling the roost in that part of the, the you know, the, the political community. But effectively, I don't, I don't know why, if it's a coincidence or, or if it's specifically related to this report. I don't know. Is that something that's come your way?
1: Well, he says he's the scapegoat, doesn't he?
2: So he actually has been, he
1: feels he's yeah. been accused, yes, hasn't he? Well, of not, of not spilling the beans. Of but, not, you know, we, went, it, yeah. we also went a bit too far, didn't we, yeah. when the, the, the chap who told all those lies who's now been found out yeah. uh, about there yeah. being a, a paedophile in, in ring in Westminster and everything else, um, and yeah. people, people were sort of, all oh, right, Well, right, we've got to do this straight away, um, and, and that has kind of devalued the whole yeah. thing in a way. Yeah.
2: That's a very good um, sort of assessment. I mean, essentially, people, OK, were taken in by him. You know, he, he conned them. Hmm. But at the same time, you sprinkle in just a little bit of maybe they wanted to hear what he was saying.
1: I think that's right, and I think that since we haven't... And quite, quite rightly, I'm not saying we should go back to the old ways at all, but I think, like every, everything, when things change a bit, people rush at it to change it when they can see that the benefit of changing the way we live, they rush at it and sometimes rush at it too quickly.
2: No, you're right. I mean, things, yeah, yeah. process of change, as soon as it's out there, something else has been made to kind of replace it.
1: And as a a child protection expert, David, we have to be very careful and we have to go very gently and very carefully to make sure that we do actually protect those children that need protecting.
2: I think that's right, and... Inherently, people are good. I mean, I think there's no... Well,
1: some people are.
2: No, yeah, well, (laughs) that was my next line. but right. Essentially, I do think inherently people are good. And we're getting better at protecting children. We're getting better at um, understanding what creates the climate where people, you know, would hurt children. And we're getting a little bit better still within families where most hurt takes place and trying to kind of um, change that oil mm. tanker around if you like
1: mm. I mean the big story today has come out of and why Davies Seal has quit of course is about Cyril Smith mm. yeah. and I remember I was uh, I think I was on a radio station up north at the time and it was a kind of an open secret about Cyril Smith really? everybody seemed to know about it
2: mm. yeah. yeah, I well, mean, I mean I even remember people making sort of whispers about Silver Smith, but, you know, without any kind of specific issue, but just enough to really kind of implicate the fact that there was something wrong. But that's as bad as I can remember it, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if it was um, kind of ramped up in other areas.
1: Well, I think the people who say they know things... Mm. After the event, should jolly well be, uh, be, be either made to apologise or whatever? It was the same with the. Well, this is what's with Lord with Owen, isn't it? Yeah, Don't but it's it the same thing with happen. with the Jimmy Savile case. Yeah, yeah. lots and lots of people said, "Oh, well, we all knew it was a, a well, secret." No. MI5 uh, told Thatcher not to give him a knighthood because they they said really, yeah, and she ignored them. Well, I'm surprised. Um, yeah. I, how yeah. do you know that? When well, it, oh, right. it came out, yeah. Um, The papers were scared to do anything because when he had interviews, he used to get the chief constable of Mm -hmm. a certain area to sit in the interview with him, so he was quite intimidating. I mean, Savile was was certainly an odd odd character, but if you'd had any proof or if you had any inkling... In fact, my thoughts when I had met Savile on several occasions is that he was slightly barking mad and asexual. So it's always yeah. difficult to know, but if somebody really does know a lot of people must... said they knew, didn't they? Yeah. And you think, Well yeah. why didn't you
3: say anything? Well I,
1: I took yeah. a very famous person on about this once and who went on, Oh well everybody knew and I said, Well, why didn't you do something about it? Yeah. And and I think that's the problem, isn't it, David?
2: I do indeed, and I think effectively you've got to you've got to challenge people who have been in a position to interrupt something mm. and have been in a position to perhaps stop another person, child, whatever, being hurt. And I think effectively that overrides, you know, sensitivity sometimes. And I think, you know, we've got to be pretty, I don't know, pretty strong in our response to protecting children. So, I mean, essentially it's all a question of, Education, but also kind of um, law enforcement.
1: The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Jonathan Ball, professor of molecular Biology, virology at the University of Nottingham. Uh, Jonathan, good evening. Thank you for your time. No worries. Um, am I likely to catch it from Lizzie from Lizzie Cundy? She's just come back from Milan.
0: Um, well, not not from Milan. I don't think Milan quite fits into the at-risk areas. It is north. Um, and and also, was it a, a full smacker on the lips or just a peck on the cheek?
1: I can't really go into that on the air.
0: OK, because right. that, that would actually matter as well.
1: Oh, would it? OK, yeah, fine, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, luckily it was only on the cheek, wasn't it? Mm. Yes. Yeah, so well, yeah. But a little which le- cheek? little less, oh, Shut up. Oh, God. <laughs> <And> <laughs> shut up. Um, yeah. Uh, so, are we all? I mean, it is a serious situation, uh, and reading the front pages of all the papers, I'm surprised none of us are looking for somewhere to hide out.
0: Oh well, it is, it is serious, and mm. you know, it, I think it's it's our way to have humour in, in maybe the darkest of moments. Sure, it, it isn't yet a darkest of moments. Uh-huh. Um, at the moment, the number of cases that crop up in the UK is is still low. Unfortunately, uh, when they do turn help here we're able to deal with them very effectively and very efficiently and that's by isolating people and then tracing their contacts but i think the biggest worry is uh, and you know italy's kind of brought it home and also iran is we've got two countries that have ongoing quite extensive chains of human to human transmission and we don't even know where the virus came from Uh, and that's the the worry that every part of the world will have to have is It's easy to deal with somebody who's travelling in from Wuhan. You stick them in a hotel room, keep them isolated for two weeks and and then let them go. But, of course, we love travel and therefore we've constantly got people going to and fro, potentially picking up virus and returning to the UK. So we're likely to see at some point somebody coming into the country and bringing the virus with them and we won't really know about it. But
1: some people get the virus but do not get ill from it, is that right?
0: Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. It's it's causing a huge amount of kind of heated debate, particularly in social media, about how important these supposedly asymptomatic people are. We don't know how frequent it is. And I think more importantly, we don't know whether or not these people can transmit the virus and if they can transmit it, whether they can infect lots of people. Because if there's a significant amount of uh, what we call asymptomatic infections of so people without symptoms and they can also transmit that virus and of course that ramps up the risk a lot but at the moment um, we don't think that's the case and and in in truth there's so many people with mild illness so flu or cold-like symptoms who are infected that that that's really the main driver i suspect of the outbreaks wherever they are because people will think they've got a cold or a flu or Mm. something fairly trivial
1: and will it kind of, in most people, go through like uh, like flu does? Uh, most people just sort of, they, they get ill, they, they you know, they stay in for a bit and then they get better.
0: Yeah, I mean, most of the reports of disease outside of China in particular uh, have, have described it as being fairly mild, exactly like a mild flu or, or a cold. Hmm. And, you know, we don't know the exact percentages from, from the Chinese data. We think maybe 80% of infections might be... Man, I suspect a lot more, because I think there's probably a lot more infections in mm. China than, than we realise.
1: Well, they're saying over 77,000 now.
0: Uh, yeah, and if you think, I, I can't recall the last time I, I was on your show, but it was nowhere near that. It mm. may have been, in, you know, in the sort of tens or hundreds. And, and I think the reality is because of the rate of increase of this infection Uh, and the way that it spread the fact that there's so much mild infection it's just the perfect virus in a way to be able to transmit to our communities um with SARS that was something that made people seriously about 70 percent of people infected were seriously Mm. ill and so it was very easy to identify people with SARS. You could isolate them. In fact, they had to be isolated because they were so unwell they had to be in hospital. Yeah. And therefore, it's really easy to extinguish such an infection.
1: Now, could this, as some people are saying, uh, and I asked a, a virologist the other night, uh, could this be a man-made uh, disease or not?
0: OK, well, there's, there's some very interesting uh, data... And, and some really interesting analyses on the genetic sequence of the virus, because the genetic sequence can tell us a lot about where these viruses came from. And most of the evidence would point to the fact that these viruses have come from uh, animal reservoirs. And, and we think at the moment it's like the closest relative is a bat, Um, but it may be the case that it's uh, arisen from a a small kind of anteater-like, or a cross between an anteater and an armadillo is what they look like, Mm. a little creature called a pangolin. And so by by looking at the genetic sequence, we can work out where the closest relatives are, and there's nothing in that genetic sequence that would make us think that this could be man-made. You know, the reality is nature can create these viruses perfectly, so, you know, we don't really need
1: to. I mean, I've never heard of that creature.
0: No, and and to be honest, uh, I I don't think too many people had. It's it's a red list, so extremely critically endangered, but unfortunately it is traded. Mm. uh, And more importantly, it's traded in live markets. And, um, you know, we know that it's these sort of live animal markets, particularly where there's lots of different species of animals that are kept, can be the hotbeds for these sorts of virus spillovers, so where a virus jumps from an animal into a human. Um, we still haven't got to the bottom of where it came from, but uh, I think a uh, few people would say it's, it's man-made.
1: The James Whale Show. Come praise the Whale on Talk Radio. Stuart Mitchell is historian at the Gordon Highlanders Museum, and he is the man who nominated Peggy for the award. He joins us now. Uh, Stuart, good evening. Oh, good evening. What a lovely idea and what a lovely story this is. Uh, for those people who don't know the story of Peggy, can you fairly briefly tell us it?
3: Well, uh, Peggy was... Uh...
1: Hello? Are you
3: there? Hello. Oh, it seems to have gone... Uh... I'll start again. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, Peggy was uh, an abandoned puppy... Mm-hmm. Uh, found by the Highlanders in uh, Malaya in 1941. Right. Yeah. So uh, the men... Uh, in 1941, although the war was going on in Europe, it was still peacetime in, in Malaya uh, because the Japanese didn't uh, actually attack uh, Pearl Harbour and Singapore uh, until the end of 1941. So at that time they took the abandoned puppy and they look after her and it became their official mascot. So um, when the war in the resource. Far East began, uh, the Gordon Highlanders were ordered up to Malaya to um, defend the uh, the island of Singapore from the advancing Japanese and Peggy uh, actually rode into battle on a Bren gun carrier, it's a machine gun yeah. carrier. Uh, so she went into battle. But unfortunately the battle was unsuccessful, and and your history recounts, there was a huge surrender of uh, almost uh, 100,000 British and Allied troops in the Gordon Highlanders, and Peggy and they all became prisoners of war. So when the Japanese didn't know what to do with all these men, but they came up with uh, the idea that they wanted to build a railway in Thailand to supply their forces in uh, fighting the British in Burma, and... uh, Gordon Helms, along with many other British soldiers, went there and they took Peggy with her. The thing about that was the Japanese were uh, particularly cruel to to the men. Uh, they hardly fed them mm. and they made them do very arduous work and they suffered a lot from tropical diseases. So the conditions were very bad. And Peggy's presence there uh, helped the men tremendously. Uh, the Japanese wouldn't feed her, so although they were being fed you know, very little themselves, they did share their rations with Peggy, oh. um, and Peggy defended them against beatings from the Japanese guards and the Korean guards, and she, um, she basically was a, a source of morale, you know, boosting their morale, because although life for them was absolutely almost impossible and hardly worth living, and I think the fact that they were keeping Peggy alive gave them, mm. you know, a purpose in life. Yeah.
1: Surprising that the Japanese didn't just shoot, did they? That you'd have thought, you know... they.
3: Well, the Japanese are very superstitious. Right. And uh, there was another story of another Gordon Highlander who actually rescued a duck and uh, the Japanese were definitely going to put the duck in the pot, but he told them it was a sacred duck, and uh, the Japanese uh, left the duck alone, and they actually brought this duck back to Mm. Aberdeen after the war, as was Peggy was liberated and brought back to Aberdeen after the war.
1: And how long did Peggy live?
3: Peggy was found as a puppy in 1941, and she died in... Uh, 1947. So she she was six years old when she died. Oh dear! Mm. And I think probably her short life was yeah. probably due to, you know, mm. her life in uh, the arduous conditions mm. while she was a prisoner along with the men, because you know mm. large numbers of the. Uh, the men who were prisoners or those who survived, uh, they had fairly shortened lives, and, and many of them mm. died in their 50s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, who, did she
2: survive the camp, the dog?
1: And yes, come back to did, Britain, What Will you listen to Britain? Yes, oh. just listen. Goodness. Oh, I'm we no, never, never talked about I'm that. I'm so sorry, Stuart. So, when she came back to Britain, as you told us, um, who did she live with?
3: She lived. Well, the story of her coming back was quite interesting because. When she actually mated with a uh, a local dog, and she had some puppies
1: Aww.
3: and um, when they were liberated after Japan um, surrendered after the atomic bomb- bombs were dropped on Japan, uh, and the prisoners were all liberated, the men traveled back f- uh, from a part of Thailand to by train to Bangkok, where they were going to be flown to Rangoon in Burma uh, to to get the ship home. Josh. And the RAF refused yeah. to take Peggy and the puppies on the planes. Mm. So the, you know the, one of their officers intervened and persuaded the RAF to look after the puppies and let Peggy fly. So Peggy got to fly, but that was only part of the story because when they got to the docks in Rangoon, the captain of the ship taking them back to Britain refused to let Peggy on board.
1: What is wrong with these people?
3: <laughs> so the Gordons all sat down on the quayside and refused, point blank, to board the ship without Peggy. What and a when stupid you people! To, to yeah. Through three and a half years of sheer hell, that yeah. was quite a quite a statement of loyalty to the to their mascot.
1: That was uh, the clips for today, the worst of whale, or sorry, sorry, the best of James Whale. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed them. Well, I suppose if you didn't enjoy them, you won't be listening, will you? Anyway, I'll be back seven o'clock until 10, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.